Welcome back to episode number 65 of the MP Dude. This is Jeff the MP Dude giving nurse practitioners a voice. That's all of our voices, guys, so keep your comments and questions coming to me. I do really appreciate it. I've gotten a bunch of really good ones. Really, really good ones. Really hard ones, though. So I've, it's taken a little time. So I, some of you that I've, I've emailed back and said, please stay tuned, and I haven't gotten back to you, some of them needed a little bit more attention to be able to get the right information because it was stuff I didn't know anything about, and I wanted to make sure that I understood it before I even commented my opinion on something or at least pointed somebody in the right direction on where they could go learn about it too. And uh, so let's see. So we're at 8.15, I think, 8.18, I don't know, on likes on Facebook. So we're getting there. Slowly chipping away towards that thousand mark. Keep sharing the show, guys. I, I really do appreciate that. And uh, when I see you guys liking the show and I see that you guys are sharing the show, I get huge upticks on number of people liking the show. And my daily downloads are still still trending in about the right direction. And you iTunes listeners, keep sending me notes saying that you're listening. I, I get about three or four or five people a day. depends on the day. Um, saying, hey, I'm here, dude. I'm out here listening. So um, I appreciate that. I'm getting new, new people all the time that I don't recognize from Facebook. And that is awesome. I think it's just so cool that we can connect this way. And it's just kind of becoming organic at this point. So let's keep doing that. Let's keep it going. Um, what do we want to talk about today? I got two, right? And one was me. I, this is just my opinion on something. And then the other one was a really hard question that takes a little bit of uh, getting into. And I'll do that one second because I think the first one is kind of just an interesting thing that I saw. And it was on Facebook, of course. And it was a post that somebody said, in the state of Missouri, there's proposed le- legislation that will allow medical students that graduate med school that can't get placed for residency to be classified as a new category of healthcare provider. And they're going to call them assistant physicians rather than a physician assistant. Not to be too confusing, right? And in the thread, I saw a lot of people that were like, oh no, we got more competition. And I saw other people saying, oh, watch out NPs. And I'm, I'm sitting there like, I don't see that that tone. That's not how I, what I took away from this. What I took away from this is that there might be more trouble in the medical community than you think, at least in Missouri, anyways. And here's why I say this. When you go to medical school, the limiting factor of the number of students that they take is the number of slots available in residency programs. So if there's not enough residency programs, then look, what do they do with these students? Well, before, you couldn't do anything with them. They couldn't get certified. They couldn't get a residency, which is required for a specific certification. And if you can't get certified, then you can't get your medical license. You can't practice as a physician. So you're going to spend $200,000 for a medical degree to, to go work doing nothing? Go work at Starbucks with a, with a medical degree and no license? It, it doesn't make sense. So it's a hard sell to sell somebody on that expensive of a degree and come out the other end of it with no place to go. So it was always limited by the number of residencies slots that were available. So what's the big deal about that? What, who, who benefits from this? Let's back up. Let's go to 30,000 feet and just look down at this whole issue and see what's going on. Why would the Missouri legislature really give a crap about this issue? Why would they pick this new med student thing and it's a problem and there's um, you know all these nurse practitioners out there or these whether it whatever the issue is that they see in their state who cares and I'm not being sarcastic who who really cares it's the med schools the med schools are losing out because they're limited by the number of slots that they have 
So now who has money in the state to buy off a legislature to put in a, a vote? I'm going to go with probably the medical community and the med, med schools is the people behind this. They just want to be able to pump people through like, like these NP programs are, are trying to do. Well, you know how, tr how difficult it is for us to find clinical sites. Well, it's going to be very similar in the medical community. And so what you're going to see is the medical community is changing to be more like nurse practitioners. I, and I see that as a win. That's like admitting that, that there's a problem. <laughs> you know, step one of, the, of re rehabilitation is admitting there's a problem. So who cares? It's got to be the medical community. It's the med. It, it's the, uh, the the med schools. They won't, they don't want to put you know 25 people in a class or 50 people in a class. They want to do 150, so that they can make more money because they're losing out on this opportunity of 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 quote unquote mid level providership. So what would they do? They would increase the number of medical students that are attending their programs with the idea that, that maybe we'll come down on price a little bit so that just in case you can't get in a residency, then you would be able to um, go go work as a mid-level assistant physician position. And, and this is in Missouri only, so this isn't national. This isn't everywhere. And I don't see that it's going to happen in a lot of places because I think the, the debate about why... NPs aren't as good as physicians would be the same thing with with going to the argument of why a a assistant physician wouldn't be as good as a physician because they didn't do the residency that's the whole argument why why physicians are better is oh well they had you know six years of residencies or three years of residency and they worked you know sixty hours a week doing this and that's important and I agree that makes them very well prepared to do the job that they're doing I get it. But these med students that are graduating and that don't have anywhere to go and haven't laid their hands on a, on a patient ever are going to go work as a, as a provider, as a mid-level, quote, quote, provider, as an assistant physician. I don't care. I really don't care if they do it or not. It just, to me, it was evidence that, that the medical community, the med schools are willing to go that route. And who owns the med schools? Who, who, who leads the med schools? They're all doctors. And they see dollar signs. They're missing out on an opportunity. So this isn't a, this isn't um, the medical community trying to to um, you know push NPs out. It's them trying to make money because they're you know paying you know med students paying what two hundred fifty grand two hundred grand for their med school education. Well, maybe they'll charge a hundred grand and then have three times the number of students in their program. They still going to make more money. And then, then you could say, well, we, we never guaranteed you would get a slot in a residency, so you are now an assistant physician. Congratulations to two-thirds of the class. That's what I see going on. So I, I didn't freak out when I saw this, but I thought it was interesting that the medical community, in, in, at least in respect to the, the schools, are willing to adopt the nurse practitioner model. And I took that as like, yeah, man. <laughs> that, that kind of puffed my chest out a little bit, saying, man, these guys are starting to cave. So do I see this as the demise? Well, first mover uh, advantage, if anybody is a business person and they've, they've ever heard of first mover advantage, first mover advantage is where you walk, sorry, I'm busy intersection. You walk into a place that doesn't have anybody else that does what you do and you become the name. You become the one that does that. 
and then everybody else that follows, they might be able to do it a little bit better, a little bit cheaper than you, but because you were the first one there, you have some client base that's loyal, you've got, you know, you're already up and going concerned. You can charge a little bit more money. You maybe don't have to be quite as good because the competition has to be better and cheaper and faster than you to overtake your first, first, first mover advantage. Well, in this situation, who's got the first mover advantage of the mid-levels, quote-unquote? I hate saying mid-level, but people don't understand it for, the, for, that, for our grouping of practitioners. Well, you could argue that it's PAs, but there's way more NPs out there than PAs. And right now, there's a 22 states in, in the District of Columbia that, that allow full practice authority for NPs. So we've got pretty damn good first mover advantage. So they can switch to that model. But guess what? We're going to still be better than them at that because they haven't laid their hands on a patient. We've been doing it for years. So I thought that was interesting. I thought that was a great, a great <laughs> post. And, but I took it completely different. I thought, you know, everybody always just went negative on it. I'm like, no, I think this is kind of a, a good thing. It's going to show that the medical community is caving. They're giving in. They want in. They want to buy into what we do because they know that the, the model isn't working. So they're changing. It's doing. They're doing it for money reasons, but at least they're willing to change. I mean, it, it, that that means that they've put their ego on a shelf enough for them to say, "Well, okay, I guess we can we can get in this business too." They're not as dangerous as everybody said they were going to be. They're getting given really pretty good care out there. I guess we can do the same thing. So I think that we might become the new model. Uh, that's great. This is good news to me. We'll be the next accepted form of healthcare, except for the specialties. Specialties will still be physicians unless we get some specialty nurse practitioner programs, and that can happen too. Make it a doctorate level to get a specialty. That'd be a great way. That's how it was in law school. If you want to get your tax, you can get what's called a master's in tax, and LLM is actually after your doctorate degree. And you can get specific LLMs in uh, you know patent law, or you can get it in um, intellectual property. You could get it in tax. You could get it in healthcare. There's a bunch of different ones you can get, and it's just a specialty degree. That proves that you're, you know, knowledgeable in that that specific area. So I could see doing that. I could see see um, a nurse practitioner surgeon realm. Wouldn't that be cool? If you want to become a surgeon and you want to do it and do it through nurse practitioner track, that you do an extra, you know, two or three years and then go to a residency to be a surgeon. That'd be kind of cool. I wouldn't want to do it, but that that'd be a neat option. And I think that that could get there. I think we could get there through this model. I think that we're going to see that happen. And maybe maybe not in my lifetime, but it'll definitely be in my kid's lifetime that we'll see nurse practitioners doing more and more medical procedures and um, how, how people learn through med school and, and is, going to, is going to change. And I see this as the beginning of it. I'm, I'm calling it now. I'm just calling it now. In 20 years when you guys listen to this podcast, you're going to say, yep, Jeff was right. Maybe I'm right. I don't know. I just I see it going that way, but that's that's what I do with anything that's government related. I ask who has to benefit from this. Why? And and it sounds like they're doing it for the reasons of oh well we need to provide more care to those in need out in the areas of the rural communities and inner cities, and blah 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 blah. And it's the same argument that they use all the time for nurse practitioners, PAs, and everything else. And 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 it's true, but they don't care. The legislatures could care less. That some guy in the middle of Missouri is able to get his diabetes foot check. They don't care. They could care. What do they care about? They care about getting reelected. They care about getting money in for their next campaign. They care about kickbacks. 
They care about big picture things that keeps you know lots of jobs in their district so that they can use that as a, a bullet point on their next their next election cycle and say, hey, look, I saved 10,000 jobs in our district. You know, but that's what they care about. They could care less about one person in the middle of Missouri. They just don't. That's all of them. They may say they do. They may really feel like they do. But in reality, they will throw any one of us under a bus if it means that they're going to lose votes. And anybody that doesn't believe that, I, I come over to my house, we'll sit down and have a beer, and we'll talk. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk it out. But that's, that's how I feel about it. So I look at anything that's government-related, and I go way up high in the sky and look down at this and say, all right, who's going to benefit from this? Who's going to benefit monetarily from this? And that's who's pushing it. Because the little guy in Iowa and the little guy in Missouri, the little guy in Kansas, the little guy in southern Ohio, none of these guys have any ability to, to, to get to their legislature other than dialing the, the local extension number or their office in, in D.C. And they're going to leave a message, and it doesn't do any good. They don't even listen to them. They, they could care less. They could care less. Call all you want. Nobody's going to care. So that's what I do with these government questions, and, and I encourage you to do the same. And I think that having an open mind and being willing to step way back and say, who is who's the beneficiary of this whole situation? And that usually will guide you. And I follow Occam's Razor. I don't know if you guys know Occam's Razor. Go Google it. It's 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 this uh, philosopher's view, and the only thing I think he's really famous for is this, this one theory or this one quote. And it was... Um, Usually the most obvious answer is the correct answer. And I use this all the time in practice. I mean, it's just if, if we're, not, we're not looking for zebras as a medical you know, thing, we're looking for horses. But th that's what I do. And I, and I think that it's a great practice. And I, you know, if you guys use Occam's Razor and go 30,000 view and look down at stuff, I think it's, it makes things a lot easier to analyze and just say, well, why is this going this way? Don't get don't get caught in the nitty gritty details of it because then you get stuck in their talking points and it's all muddled and you know the political um, theories of why we do what we do in our in our government and and just step back and say why are they doing that? Anyways, so that's one that was one topic I thought was interesting I wanted to talk about today and then the other one was a great question and and I had to take a little time because and this person emailed me like three times about it and I apologize I told. I, I usually reply back very quick, and I just got wrapped up with stuff, and, and I didn't reply back for about a day, day and a half on this one. And so by the time I got the second or third email, I was back, and I'm like, I'm so sorry. This is, the, you know, I, I want to talk about this, but it takes time for me to look this up, and it, it kind of fell through the cracks. And so this question, here's the hypothetical question. You work in a practice that has insurance with um, insurance providers, third-party payers is the, another way of you, you describing them. So you have clients that come in to see you. They have private insurance. They have, um, you know, public insurance, Medicaid, Medicare, whatever it is. And you want to start a cash-only basis, and you want to do it on the side, and you want to start promoting your cash-only business, and you want to you want to do it in a way that's, you know, I want to ease into it. I don't want to jump wholehearted, you know, 100% into cash-only because I don't want to be hungry for a, a couple months until maybe my business picks up, if it does at all. So what's the what's the potential problems with this going to a cash only business well there's a there's a couple problems with this and it really 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 depends upon what state you're in for Medicaid because every Medicaid contract is different that you have who you're credentialed with and then and then there's multiple plans within the Medicaid so I know in Ohio there's you know I don't know eight or ten different Medicaid plans to make it look like it's private insurance, but in reality it's all welfare. 
Why don't they just have one? Why do we have multiple ones? It's so stupid. Just have one. <laughs> it makes it so much easier. But they don't. They have multiple plans, and they got multiple contracts and multiple credentialing processes for each one. Why does it matter? Why does it? Why do you need to know what your contract says? Because the contract dictates what you can do. It really, really does. So if you if you are a cash only basis, you can charge whatever you want, and you're only cash basis. In other words, you're out of network everywhere. You're not in anybody's third party insurance uh, company's network anywhere. You're completely on your own. You could charge whatever you think you can get, whatever the market dictates. If it's 100 bucks a visit, if it's 30 bucks a visit, if it's you know 150 bucks a visit, it's whatever you think you can get. If you're that good and you're and you're efficient and all that stuff, and and you got a, a good client base, then you can charge you know 50, 60 bucks, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. But as soon as you take a third-party insurer as a as a payer to you, then then it becomes sticky because that contract that you have with that third-party payer will dictate what you can and can't do. The one main part of the, the contract that you need to look for in your agreement with your third-party payer is what's called a most favored nation clause. And I'd never heard of this. I had to look this up and figure it all out because I and, and I'm still very fuzzy on this. So I'm giving enough information for you to go look this up if you're doing this type of a basis, you need to have your lawyer look through every insurance contract that you have with third-party payers and have them just make sure what rate you can set for your private payers. It's worth it because if you go above that and it's a, and if it's, and if it's um and if it's a CMS, Medicaid or Medicare, right? then there's probably some pretty big fines and penalties for breaching the contract. So I would be very careful of doing that, especially with the government program, government insurers. Now, the private payers, they may just say, you know what, you can't do this insurance plan anymore, and you lose a large chunk of your revenue. You know, if it's Aetna or something, and you, you know, or Humana or whatever it is, the, the private ones. Then you could you could be in big trouble. <laughs> you could lose your contract with them. You could be in violation of the contract. Boom, it's done, and you don't look, you, you don't get any reimbursement from any of those people. So they're gone. You could lose ten percent, twenty percent, thirty percent of your your patient population just by screwing up and charging too much for a cash basis. So what this this most favored nations is clause. It's a clause in the contract that says you will not charge us more than what you would charge anybody else, third party or otherwise, for the same services. So it's kind of loosey-goosey, right? So you get, what's the definition of same services? But if, you, if you're going to use a billing system, you're probably going to use 99213 and 214, and you're going to use CPT codes because you, haven't, you, know, you still need to use those for insurance reasons. And you're probably going to do that same system for your private pay and your private pay is going to be based upon those same CPT codes. So it shouldn't be that difficult. And you're probably going to use ICD-10 codes because the standard of care out there now is that you diagnose using ICD-10 codes. And in some states, it requires that you use ICD-10 codes to act within your scope of practice to do your diagnosis. And that's through the medical boards. I've seen, seen a couple comments about that. And I'm sure that some states may do that with their nurse practice acts too. 
But this most favors nations clause is what's going to be the, the, the hiccup, is, is what is the price that you're, you're valuing your services at may be different than what your insurance company is paying you. And that's the whole point of why you want to get away from insurance in the first place. So why? Go back to 30,000 feet. Why does the insurance company want you to do this most favors nations? Well, one, it's so that you're not bilking them. That's the most obvious, that you're not overcharging them what you would charge anybody else. So that's one. But two, why? Because they don't want people to go to a cash-only basis. Imagine if the whole, if 50% of the country said, you know what, I'm not going to get insurance anymore. Obamacare is gone. Trump cares in. The mandate's gone. And I don't need that much services. I'm going to a cash-only service. Then, then this, this limits the number of people that you're going to be able to take right off the bat because it's cash-only. Yeah, you can, you can charge them, you know, 40 bucks or 50 bucks which is what maybe your insurance provider is going to pay you back, the third-party payer is going to pay you back. But the thing is, is that that's going to limit your ability to make more money and go out on your own, right? So why do it? You're already in the system with these third-party insurers and all that stuff. It's a way to guarantee that they're not losing clients. That's one issue. Now, the other thing is, from the, from the patient's standpoint, so say, for example, they, um, they come into me for back pain. I see him for back pain, and I say, you know what? You're not really a candidate for surgery. I'm, you know, I can send you to orthopedics, but you know, you had just X-ray, and it just showed that maybe you had a, um, a little bit of osteoarthritis or something. We're going to get you some physical therapy, strengthen your back, maybe increase your functionality, that type of stuff. And they go to therapy, and it's like $25 copay, $30 copay, and you only get six visits or whatever it is that the insurance provider is telling them. Well, maybe this person wants more visits than that. And it's only $50 for them to pay out of pocket. So for 20 bucks, I could just not use my insurance and save those those extra ones for later. Well, that's against the contract. They're not allowed to do that. They can lose their insurance, especially if it's government-related. Because the health care insurance providers want to make sure that they have complete control over what? Your health. That's why they do it. They want complete control over your health. They, were, they want to be the ones to say yay or nay for all your services. And think about why, right? I mean, so say you want to pay cash for a major back surgery, but the outcome isn't really a very high uh, rate of success. In fact, usually with the, maybe this surgery, the people end up worse. So now you go get a surgery, you pay cash for it, and then you come out the other side of it, and you're worse off than you were requiring more health care, which is more cost. That's why that's the argument that they use. It's about money. It's not about your health care. It's not about making sure that you're getting the things you need. It's about them not paying out more than they anticipated that they were going to pay out because they want to make profit at the end of the year, the big, bad, evil corporations. So that's 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 the main issue here. Now, there was a, a, a one blog that I saw that was talking about using the same-day uh, services exception, and it was trying to get around um, charging... Um, the, the, the issue is charging less, right? So, I mean, here if you're going to charge your cash-only people to get them in the door, and you say, well, why don't you just come in and I'll charge you 20 bucks to look at you for a sick visit, just to get patients out there knowing that you do cash-only. And it's cheaper, you know, it's the same cost as their copay, so why not do it? Just leave the insurance out of it. So the, the big issue here is if you're doing that, and you're doing it to get to drum up business, and you're charging significantly less. Then, in, by theory, you're charging more to them. You wouldn't have charged twenty bucks for an insured patient 
You're not allowed to do it. So you have to find that magic number. That's the big, the big issue there is finding that magic number. And it really depends. It depends on what your contract is. It depends on what your reimbursement is. They're different everywhere all across the country. And this is one where if you're going to do a cash-only business, it's worth having an attorney spend a couple hours or a thousand bucks of your money to read through some of your contracts. The most heavily, you know, the ones that you rely on the most. If it's, you know, you got ten patients of, from this insurance, I guess I'd say, but don't read that one. But you know, eighty percent of my business comes from these four insurance providers. I'd have them read those, <laughs> and I'd be like, make sure I can set my price. What, what, my, what's my price need to be? What do I need to figure out to set my price? And that's that's how I would do it. Now, the other question this person asked, and I, I don't, I really don't know the answer to this one. I'm going to pose the question out to you guys. I'm going to do some research on it and see if I can find something. But I think it's a big fat depends. And the question was, if you were to go and talk to local schools, and I'm assuming it's like public schools, not like universities, and you wanted to get a contract with them, but it didn't really say what the contract was for. I wasn't really understanding what what the goal was there. Um, was it to be their their nurse, their school nurse, or was it to contract for like sports physicals or something like that? I just I didn't understand what that was for. So I don't know what scope you're asking for. Um, but I, can, the, the main question is, can you contract with a school? And I'm like, yeah, I don't see why you couldn't. I think it just depends on what your scope of practice is more than anything. Wh- and why are you doing this? Why? Wh- what's in it for them contractually? What are you bringing to the table that they can't just say, go see your primary care providers in the, in the public for this issue? I, I don't know why that's there. You know, sports physicals, you know, I... I they just give you a form and send you out in the world. So I don't know if that's it or not. So please give me more information on what you're trying to get to with contracting with schools. I don't know. I don't know where to go with that. And and I, I didn't research why, you know, what issues could come up because I'm really not sure where to go with it. And it, it might be a good revenue source. I just don't know what the goal is. And I'll reread the question again and see if I can figure it out. But... Um, and I'll even reply back to that email. But if anybody has contracts with schools for any issues, let me know. It might be an interesting revenue model that you could add, um, you know, a day or two out of your week to do to generate revenue in a different way and be able to provide a service in your community. So email me, jeff at the npdude.com. You can get me on Facebook. You can PM me personally. You can follow me on Twitter. i got a couple followers, not many. I don't know how many people tweet. I think most people that I do Facebook with spend more time on Facebook. But you can get me on Twitter. You can also um, listen on iTunes. I got a couple people on iTunes just yesterday sent me some some texts saying, hey, there were some messages saying I'm out here. So keep doing that. Don't forget to share the show. Like and share as much as possible, guys, and we'll talk soon. <laughs>